Hello, my friends, an amazing statement yesterday by Donald Trump, just so casually, and boom, it's done. He said he's, well, he's not quite ready to pull out of the World Health Organization, but he's going to pull out his dollars, and it was just a taboo that he just broke like so many others. He just said it and did it. I'm going to talk a little bit about why we should do it too. Before I do, let me invite you to become a video subscriber to this podcast. Join Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month. You get my show, Sheila Godreda's weekly show, same with David Menzies, and it helps us stick around because we don't take a dime from Trudeau. You can do all that at rebelnews.com. Get your eight buck a month subscription. Okay, here's the rest of your podcast. Tonight, Donald Trump suspends payments to the UN's World Health Organization, and Canada should too. It's April 15th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Donald Trump announced yesterday that he's suspending all U.S. payments to the World Health Organization. Here's his announcement. Today I'm instructing my administration to halt funding of the World Health Organization while a review is conducted to assess the World Health Organization's role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the coronavirus. Everybody knows what's going on there. American taxpayers provide between $400 million and $500 million per year to the WHO. In contrast, China contributes roughly $40 million a year and even less. As the organization's leading sponsor, the United States has a duty to insist on full accountability, one of the most dangerous and costly decisions from the WHO was its disastrous decision to oppose travel restrictions from China and other nations. They were very much opposed to what we did. Fortunately, I was not convinced and suspended travel from China, saving untold numbers of lives. Thousands and thousands of people would have died. That's amazing. It's even more amazing that Trump said all that just a day or so after the World Health Organization's boss, an Ethiopian political boss himself, named Tedros Adenum, was telling the world just how well he got along with Trump and how much Trump loved him. Look at this great video mashup put together by our friend Avi Yamini. The United States is actually the largest contributor to WHO. American taxpayers provide between $400 million and $500 million per year. And I have met uh, President Trump a number of uh, times. Everybody knows what's going on there. And what I know is that he's supportive. It's a disastrous decision to oppose travel restrictions from China and other nations. They were very much opposed to what we did. Fortunately, I was not convinced and suspended travel from China. And uh, uh, I hope uh, the funding to WHO will, will uh, continue. Today, I'm instructing my administration to halt funding of the World Health Organization while a review is conducted. And the relationship we have is, is uh, very uh, good, and uh, we hope that this will uh, continue. Covering up the spread of the corona 
virus. What a laugh. Now, the World Health Organization, that name sounds so good. Who could be against that? But it reminds me of one of historian Robert Conquest's famous sayings. The simplest way to explain the behavior of any bureaucratic organization, he wrote, is to assume that it is controlled by a cabal of its enemies. So, for example, the Dairy Board is really about stopping imports of affordable, affordable dairy. The Taxi Commission is really about keeping out drivers like Uber. You get the picture. So the World Health Organization, it's not really about world health, is it? In fact, no organization has done more to make the world sicker in the past 90 days than the disgraced, discredited United Nations entity and its corrupt leader, Tedros Adhanom. Kim Bexie did an excellent video on just who this Tedros character is. I'm not going to call him doctor, even though he likes to call himself one, because he's just got some PhD. He's not actually a medical doctor. He's the first non-medical doctor to lead the World Health Organization, which again goes to Robert Conquest's point. Why would you not have a doctor running a health organization? Why would you do that? Well, why would you choose a corrupt political bully from Ethiopia who oversaw massacres and was actually complicit in covering up cholera epidemics? Why would you choose him as your global health czar? Well, precisely for those reasons. If you were communist China, which installed him in the UN, they're taking over so many global institutions, and what luck for them that their capture of the WHO was complete just before this Wuhan coronavirus. If you want something specific, look at this. This is from January 14th. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human -human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. That was a lie. Everyone knew or should have known it was a lie. Other people saw right through the lie. Remember what that Taiwanese doctor told me the other day? Things were so suspicious about this virus, even in December, the Taiwan sent in a little squad of their own to check things out in Wuhan. And what they saw, and the Chinese government's hostile reaction to their inquiries, was enough to make them pull up the drawbridge on travel from Wuhan. So in late December, there was a, 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 our CDC person already uh, take note about what's going on. So they sent an expert to China in Wuhan in early, uh, in early January. And that really, that was real action to see, oh, there was a problem there. So I can't. Uh, put it the long way, but you see, we are in the uh, very close to China, and we are aware of the there was a something we cannot uh, handle. You know, there was no information sharing. We are always on this alert, and that make us aware prepared. Yeah, so we know that China lies, but now we know that WHO lies for China. So why would any self-respecting country stay in the WHO? I mean. Let China and its colonies stay in whatever. What's the point of a World Health Organization that isn't for the world? It's just for China. It's not about health, it's about propaganda. And in terms of organization, well, I don't know about that. They seem pretty disorganized to me. Flip-flopping on the virus, flip-flopping on masks, denouncing anyone who is for closed borders. It sounds exactly like Canada's health bureaucrat, Theresa Tam, with her bizarre advice on those exact same subjects. And that is not a coincidence. Because not only does she support the WHO, she's on a supervisory committee of it. Do you see the problem? Canada is up to its eyeballs in this fraudulent organization. Remember that doctor who hung up on the Hong Kong reporter who simply asked him about Taiwan and how they fought the virus? Will the WHO consider Taiwan's membership? 
was it? I couldn't hear your question. Okay, yeah. Let me let, let me let me repeat the question. No, so, that's okay. Let, let's move to another one then. Right, because because I'm I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well on Taiwan's case. We decided to give Dr. Alward another call to follow up. And I just want to see if you can comment a bit on how Taiwan has done so far in terms of containing the virus. Well, we've, we've already talked about China. And, um, you know, when you look across all the different areas of, uh, of China, they've actually all done quite a good job. So with that, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting us to participate. And, uh, and good luck as you go forward with the battle in Hong Kong. Yeah, this guy. If I had COVID-19, I want to be treated in, in China. I'm embarrassed to say he's a Canadian. And of course, the liberal government here just loves him. So we're in deep with the WHO as we are with so many parts of the worst parts of the UN. And I have to tell you, whatever else Donald Trump will be judged on in the full course of history, I think his appointment of conservative judges will certainly be one legacy that will last. I think his boosting of NATO will be remembered. I think his ending the charade with Iran pulling troops out of Afghanistan and Syria. I think his total support for oil and gas and coal, those will all be Trump legacies. But one of the most important, surely, will be his rebuke of the United Nations, not just the WHO, but remember this glorious, glorious moment. I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. I represent Pittsburgh, not Paris. Isn't that great? He's out of the global warming scheme. He's out, at least financially, from the health scheme. Maybe he'll leave other parts of the UN, too. Let the Chinese have it. They already do, really, along with the Qataris. Let them have it. What's the point of the place if China has a veto over the Security Council, which it does? What's the point of the place if, in the General Assembly, tiny little countries like Nauru and Tuvalu have one vote, just like Mighty America has one vote? I mean, there's only so many times that the UN can vote to condemn Israel and condemn America and cheer on North Korea and Iran. We get it. We get it. You're corrupt and run by dictators, and it shows. So why not pull out altogether? I truly think it's possible now, probably not under Trudeau for Canada. He's too wedded to the UN. He loves it. You might recall that in February, when the virus was really on a tear in Canada, Trudeau just up and left Canada for nine days to go on a UN vote hunting trip to Africa, visiting one dictator after another, dumping foreign aid money to bribe them for their votes at the UN. It was shameful. Why are we even doing that? Well, Trudeau will be Trudeau, but perhaps other countries will get out of the World Health Organization too. Other countries follow America's lead on things. For example, when Trump moved the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, a number of other countries followed, including big countries like Brazil and Hungary, places like that. And remember, Trump has always been friendly to Taiwan. He made waves back in 2016 when one of the first world leaders he talked to on the phone was President Tsai of Taiwan, even before he was inaugurated. Not only did China hate that, but of course, all the fancy people in foreign affairs did too. So maybe Trump will get a few other countries to leave the World Health Organization with him. Maybe he'll leave a few other agencies at the UN too, pull out not just personnel, but money and just get out. And maybe set up something that works instead with allies, democracies. Trump likes allies. Trump works well with groups. Ask NATO. The good news is that the allies have started to invest more in uh, defense. Uh, after years of cutting defense budgets, they have started to uh, add billions to their defense budgets. And uh, 
Last year was the biggest increase uh, in defense spending across Europe and Canada in a generation. Why was that last year? It's also because of your leadership, because of your uh, clear message. And, okay. uh, and, uh, they won't write that. But no, I have said it before, and, and the, but the thing is that uh, uh, it really has, uh, uh, it's, it, your message is having an impact. So wouldn't it be great if Trump joined forces with the best healthcare systems in the world? from a pandemic control point of view. Wouldn't it be great if the USA and Taiwan and South Korea and Japan set up a real health agency? I'd want to join that one instead of the World Health Agency, wouldn't you? Who knows, they might even elect a boss of it who's a real doctor, <laughs> not a corrupt Chinese agent like Dr. Tedros. Hey, I'd nominate Jane Philpot from uh, uh, Trudeau's fired cabinet. What do you think? If you want to support our petition to get Canada out of the World Health Organization, well, that petition is over 20,000 names strong. Going to Go to whowantsout.com and add your name to it. That's enough. That's enough. We cannot tolerate that. But since I don't have any inferiority complex when I am personally affected or attacked by racial slurs, I don't care because I am a very proud black person or Negro. I don't care being called even Negro. I am. That's what came from some quarters. And if you want me to be specific, three months ago, this attack came from Taiwan. We need to be honest. I will be straight today. From Taiwan. And Taiwan, the foreign ministry or so, they know the campaign. They didn't dissociate themselves. They even started criticizing me in the middle of all that insult and slur. But I didn't care. Three months. Tedros Adhanom, the Chinese-backed head of the World Health Organization in the United Nations. I don't want to call him Dr. Tedros because, of course, he's not a medical doctor. If someone in the theater said, help, is there a doctor in the house? He couldn't say yes. That's the test for me. That outrageous slur that Taiwan was in, engaging in racism against Tedros was taken very seriously by Taiwan. They investigated the claims and found literally no evidence whatsoever. They investigated the matter because, of course, Tedros himself could not find or substantiate his claims. It was nothing but a smear against Taiwan. I'm happy to say that Tedros Adhanom has been taken down a peg by no one less than Donald Trump, the President of the United States. Joining us now to talk about the World Health Organization and Trump's decision is our friend Ben Weingarten. You know him as the author of American Ingrate, the book about Ilhan Omar, and he also writes for The Federalist, where his latest essay, let me quote the title, is World Health Organization Director Again Parrots Chinese Propaganda in Anti-Taiwan Tirade. Ben, how you doing? Nice to see you again. I'm doing well, Ezra. Thanks so much for having me on today. Well, let me ask you this question. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, by the way. You always bring a lot of smarts to the show. Um, a lot of the usual suspects are clucking about the United States stepping away from the World Health Organization, but they're the people who have skin in the game. They're people who would profit from it. They're people who are associated with it. 
But just like when Donald Trump quit the UN global warming scheme, I don't think any normal people cared. In fact, they sort of cheered. Can you tell me what the American reaction has been to this Trump decision? Is there a grassroots uprising saying, no, 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 stay in? Or did, was it just met with shrugs and no one even cares? Well, to, to put sort of an empirical uh, glean on this, the American people poll overwhelmingly in the way of saying that they believe China is disproportionately responsible for the coronavirus. They agree with the Trump administration's policies on trade to punish China for their lack of free, fair and reciprocal trade with the U.S. And on this issue of the WHO in particular, while, as you note, uh, the elites who think of themselves as being in the mainstream in their views are all up in arms and, and predictably, uh, frankly, shamefully parroting Chinese propaganda on this, claiming that the administration is trying to make a scapegoat out of the WHO or the administration is trying to make a scapegoat out of the Chinese Communist Party in effect. Uh, the reality is I don't think that most Americans, the man on the street, really buys that line of reasoning. And I think the very simple argument to be made for this decision is why would America spend another penny on an institution that is doing the Chinese Communist Party's bidding and who in so doing has caused American loss of life, limb and obvious treasure as well? It would be a suicidal policy to do so. What the So what the president did was entirely rational to rational people in the country, but it's not rational people that are the ones populating the newsrooms on the East Coast and West Coast of this country. Yeah. You know, at least when Trump pulled out of uh, the global warming conference, that had a lot of media attention. Year after year, it was this time in November or December where it was like a week of global warming politics coverage. So people sort of were aware of it. I really don't think anyone severely normal, as I like to say, had really thought about the World Health Organization, really knew anything about it. And so to hear that Trump is pulling out of it, it's sort of, okay, I didn't, it's like when Sir So-and-So's obituary appears, well, a lot of people didn't even know Sir So-and-So was alive in the first place. So I think it's a, it's a no downside decision. And I find it an encouraging foreign policy statement of finally standing up to China and the globalist institutions that it's managed to colonize. It's absolutely right. And I hope that the administration makes the point and will make the point here that, look, China having a Chinese Communist Party backed director general of the WHO is illustrative of their much broader strategy, which is to try to influence, corrupt and pervert every global institution to which they are party and their kind of chosen figures are leading any number of UN linked and then outside UN global institutions as well. So this is a clear part of their grand strategy. And so the fact that we are showing now that we will pull the plug on an institution that works in an adversarial fashion towards US national interest and the, and the interest of the West more broadly, I think, is a very positive sign. And I assure you that in Beijing, they are taking note of it. Yeah. You know, uh, I was reminded recently that one of the first phone calls Donald Trump made after he was elected, before he was even inaugurated, was with, was with President Tsai, 
the uh, leader of Taiwan, the president of Taiwan, who has been marvelous in this whole pandemic. And I understand uh, that since they've got enough masks for themselves, they're now sending masks to allies like America and the UK. Um, Trump has always been skeptical of China. He's always been a friend to Taiwan, more or less. Do you think that Trump will step things up diplomatically or militarily or economically with Taiwan? I mean, that I remember that phone call in 2016 created so, such a stir. Oh, my God, you're picking a fight. I, I like plucky little Taiwan, and I wonder if America could or should do more. You don't want to needlessly provoke a conflict with China, but it's, again, symbolism. We should speak clearly about who is a trustworthy ally and who is an untrustworthy enemy. Absolutely. And the Trump administration throughout this crisis has not only maintained open communications with Taiwan, which, as you know, it has dealt with this pandemic perhaps better than any other land on the planet, uh, but as well, they've also tried to push for Taiwan to be included in WHO emergency conferences on this issue in particular because under Chinese pressure, the WHO has not let Taiwan participate, for example, at the World Health Assembly over the last several years. Uh, the Trump administration and actually Congress as well have also taken steps indicating a desire to further strengthen relations uh, that go far beyond just the, the area of health, uh, public health and welfare as well with respect to Taiwan. And I, I, I suspect actually that that's part of the reason why you've seen this pushback uh, from the Chinese Communist Party by way of their mouthpiece in Tedros. I, I would suggest it was bizarre that he even raised this issue in the middle of a press conference, which was largely about the fact that Tedros was being criticized for, for towing the Chinese Communist Party line. So what was his reaction to that? It was to play the race card, but in particular to play the race card against Taiwan. And Taiwan is a thorn in China's side, I think in large part besides the obvious historical issues surrounding Taiwan, that Taiwan shows what a truly free and democratic China could actually look like. And that really poses an existential threat to the Chinese Communist Party because it really shows the failure of the CCP in many ways. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a wonderful country. You know, we tried to send a reporter there about a week ago, but the Taiwanese uh, uh, diplomats were insistent that he spend two weeks in quarantine on the Taipei side, and we just couldn't take a reporter out of action for two weeks. But I was appreciative, even though I was disappointed, I was appreciative of how seriously they're taking border controls. That's why they've had only single digits mortality. But let me come back to um, that bizarre rant that we started this segment with. Um, listen, politics is a rough and tumble business. Uh, Everyone gets criticized, especially in the era of social media. A lot of criticism is mean, even racist, personal insults. But for the Secretary General of such a massive organization in the middle of the largest crisis of its existence, to go on a weird tangent like that, playing the victim, and even in that clip, I think he said the insult was made like three months ago. Like it was such a weird, whiny complaint it was bizarre to begin with and unseemly and childish and oversensitive. But take a look at these images, Ben. Um, these images are pouring out of China. Hand uh, uh, little videos from cell phones of Chinese police rounding up 
anyone who is black. And to my surprise, there's a lot of Africans, including from Nigeria, in China. This is Guangzhou, I believe. They are being rousted out of their apartments. They're being rounded up. And just based on the color of their skin, I think we have one more image of signs that are going up in English, because Nigerians read English. Yeah, this is a restaurant in McDonald's saying no black people. Do you see that? We are uh, informed that black people are not allowed to enter the restaurant. For the sake of your health, consciously notify the local police. So this is a sign that's being put up in English for Nigerians to read around town. And by the way, this was all confirmed by the Chinese foreign ministry um, a couple of days ago. So this is not disinformation. They really are rounding up anyone who's black, blaming them for the virus, Ben. The chutzpah of that, there's so, and Tedros Adhanom, completely silent. It, it, it truly is an amazing juxtaposition, and I actually reached out to spokespeople at the WHO to ask some very pointed questions about, can Tedros point to any specific examples? Can he link those examples to Taiwan, uh, and let alone Taiwan's government? And, and Taiwan, of course, uh, has flatly denied it and, and essentially called it slanderous, uh, what he accused the Taiwanese people of. And then, of course, Post that episode, there were all of these accounts. It's revealed. It's been revealed that were posing as Taiwanese, uh, thanking Tedros and apologizing to Tedros. But of course, they were communist China-backed accounts. It appears. So juxtapose that with a Chinese Communist Party regime that discriminates on any number of bases. And these images that you're showing speak volumes in and of themselves. But of course, this is a regime a regime that discriminates on race, it discriminates on religion, it discriminates on ethnicity, and of course, it discriminates on holding any sort of political views antithetical to or dissenting from the prevailing Chinese Communist Party orthodoxy. So chutzpah doesn't even necessarily do justice, yeah. the idea that there was something like a Chinese Communist Party disinformation operation that effectively Tedros was participating in versus what actually occurs on a daily basis if you were in the crosshairs of the government in China today. Yeah. Well, occasionally, uh, voices in the West speak up for Tibet. Um, I think of, uh, I think it was Richard Gere was the name of one Hollywood actor that really focused on that. I think that was for personal religious reasons. Um, I, what I mean is like at the Oscars or the Grammys, when you have all the loveys, the Hollywood loveys going up there and they're making a very short political point I don't see any of them taking on China, and I think that's because China's an important box office market for Hollywood now. But this racial aspect, this anti-black aspect is so acute. Can you tell me, are there any voices in America that traditionally speak up against anti-black racism, where it's, whether it's the NAACP or even the Anti-Defamation League, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Black Congressional uh, caucus, the squad, Ilhan Omar, who you've written a whole book about. Is there any leading anti-racism activist in America that you've seen who has even mentioned this, I'm going to call it a Jim Crow style crackdown on blacks in China? Have you seen anything? 
To my knowledge, no, and it speaks volumes about the way in which the relationship between the U.S. and China has evolved, such that really the Chinese Communist Party corrupts everything that it touches. There are so many people with such a vested interest in maintaining the status quo sort of relationship that even on these matters, uh, such as racism, for example, where people are so passionate about them, and if nothing else, there are people on the left who would want a virtue signal in a situation like this. Uh, the, the silence really is deafening. And again, I would suggest that it's a function of the fact that so such a great vested interest in maintaining this relationship. And then sadly, there's also the cynical political angle of this, which is that any attack on China is probably viewed as helping Trump. And all too sadly, that is sort of what I believe you can reduce a lot of the coverage of this issue to, is that this pandemic is about Trump. Uh, it's not about who perpetrated it and, and what the proper response should be. It's about how can we use this to leverage this for political ends. Uh, it's really sad and shameful, but that has been sort of my takeaway, having analyzed this you know, since it really began, uh, call it in late February or early March here. Yeah, you know, I saw something the other day. Of course, we all know that the uh, U.S. Uh, Navy carrier Theodore Roosevelt had to dock at Guam because there were some virus cases on the ship and there was some controversy around that. I see that the Chinese uh, propaganda outlets are boasting that their aircraft carrier, I think it's called the Liaoning, is sailing. The, I mean, clearly designed as a counterpoint. Look how strong we are. Okay, that's China. That's propaganda. That's their job. But CNN, take a look at this. CNN actually published a snarky attack quoting Chinese propaganda saying, ha ha, look at that. China can keep their aircraft carrier floating and Trump can't. Like, and actually citing China, quoting their People's Liberation Army Navy, as it's called, outright stenography for the communist propaganda. These are the same folks who for three years were saying Russia was meddling in our democracy. Now they're actually handing the mic over to Chinese propagandists. Yeah, I think there's been sort of a meme going around about calling it Xi NN, and I think that it is wholly proper. And of course, it's not just CNN, incidentally, but any number of publications that have revenue streams associated with either running Chinese Communist Party-linked inserts within their publications. Uh, they did, many of them had these kinds of relationships with Russian sources as well, uh, not talked about during the whole Russia hysteria of the last three years. But it's an excellent point that really hasn't been exposed to a great enough extent, which is that you have people serving as unregistered foreign agents for the Chinese Communist Party today. We've had hysteria for more than three years about untoward foreign influence where there was none. Here you see a clear episode of it in real time of a hostile adversarial power propagating uh, these narratives that are wholly designed to try to delegitimize us a deflect from the fact that they covered this up, suppressed it, and as a, as a consequence, thousands of people have died around the globe. It's shameful from our media, and it really needs to be called out, their hypocrisy on this. Uh, you know, it, it, they don't have any standards except double standards is really, I think, the only way to summarize it. Well, let me ask you one last question, because uh, about a week or so ago, 
a, an ethnically Chinese reporter with a Chinese accent asked a question of Donald Trump in his White House briefing. And he may or may not have known who she was. He may have been shown a list because he said, where are you from? And she said, Hong Kong. And he said, uh, you know, owned by the government. Here's a quick clip of that. Take a look. Has agreed to spend 250 billion, many billions of dollars in our country, much of it going to farmers and manufacturers. So I'll let you know. I mean, I, I hope they're going to honor the deal. We'll find with out. China, are you cooperating with I don't China? Know. Uh, who are you working for, China? You work know, for China or are you with a newspaper? Who are you with? Hong Kong Phoenix TV. Who owns that, China? Is it owned by China? No, is it owned by the state? No, it's not. It's a private owned company. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, look. So she said, I don't know if you, you saw that, Ben. She claimed that she was from Hong Kong, a privately owned company. But Hong Kong Phoenix is actually run by a former high-ranking Communist Party official invested by the mainland China. And there was another reporter who did the same thing to Trump. He claimed he was with Taiwan, but of course it was a pro-Beijing propaganda outfit. Let me ask you this question. Why is the White House allowing these deceptive reporters into the White House briefing there may be some journalistic validity to their questions, but that's an accident. Their main point is to poke and prod and be agents of Communist China in that White House briefing. Do you, do you understand what's going on there? Do you think it's trickery? Do you think Trump likes it? Why are basically China propagandists allowed to press some questions? Well, what I would say is this. The, the State Department has essentially said that if you work for a uh, Chinese-backed outlet, uh, Chinese mainland-centered uh, outlet, that you are effectively serving as a propagandist if you're working in the U.S. And of course, we've expelled some of them, and they've expelled then some Americans. Not that it's at all reciprocal in any sense. Uh, the reason that these reporters have been allowed to participate is, a con is as a consequence of the American media that has given them entree to this particular organization that enables you uh, to serve as press in a White House briefing. I have to believe that in the case of this particular questioner, that what the administration was doing was actually allowing the media to walk into a trap and expose themselves by permitting there to be a Chinese Communist Party-backed, effectively, journalist participate all that said, it was right to expose our media for engaging in, frankly, I, I don't see any other way to describe it, but sort of treachery. Uh, but that said, going forward, I do not think that any of these reporters should ever be able to set foot on White House grounds, period, full stop. I mean, again, it, it's sort of an asinine paradigm that we face. Could you imagine the Chinese Communist Party permitting American reporters to go into a briefing like that with Xi? It's completely unimaginable, and I think that says it all about the unfair nature of this relationship and, and why it's been so essential that I think the Trump administration has reoriented it to an unprecedented degree, certainly since Nixon first went to China back in 1972. Yeah. Well, every once in a while I refer to a Pew Research study of international attitudes towards China. Um, to my surprise, Sweden in their latest report, was the most hostile country towards China in the whole world. I found that unusual. Canada was number two. That's because they've taken a couple of Canadian hostages and hold them still. 
U.S., Japan, Korea were not far behind. I would love to see a new Pew Research study. I would love to see what they think of China in Italy, in Spain, in the U.K., in Nigeria. I wonder if Pew will even do that because I've got to think this is backfiring with severely normal people, even if the CNNs of the world still love it. What do you think? Has China come out poorly here or is their propaganda working? Look, I think their propaganda is effective, but only to a point because people cannot deny what they see in front of their eyes. And that is a shutdown of the global economy because of something that originated in China, that China sought to suppress, uh, and that now China is cynically cynically seeking to take advantage of by after hoarding all of this essential personal protective equipment, then trying to sell it back to the rest of the world at a marked up price, much of which was defective. And now, of course, they're putting on export controls, supposedly uh, to try to prevent there from being defective supplies being shipped out. So the rest of the world is not getting the supplies that we need. I just don't see them fooling anyone at the end of the day. It doesn't mean that I necessarily believe that China is going to pay the price that I believe China desperately deserves to pay for what they've inflicted on the world. But I do think that this is hurting them immensely. And if you want to look at a concrete example of it, uh, one element of this is that the UK, which has typically taken a very soft line with respect to China, several officials, uh, senior government officials uh, in the UK are now saying that they're rethinking the Huawei relationship uh, and they have to take a serious relook at their entire relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. That would be a major domino to fall uh, from the perspective of halting the Chinese Communist Party's grand strategy. And I really hope the rest of the world follows suit. Yeah, me too. Well, Justin Trudeau will be the last domino to fall. He couldn't <laughs> be more in the tank for China. Uh, it's just by every measure, he is absolutely uh, submissive to them, even though, as I say, they maintain two Canadian hostages. It'll be interesting to me to see what the NBA does, to see what Hollywood does to see how much the American public will let them sell out. That's, uh, I look forward to seeing how that goes. Ben, you've been very generous with your time today. I want to plug your book one more time. It's called American Ingrate. What a fascinating, uh, detailed analysis of Ilhan Omar. And I just love that title. It's so spot on. Ben's also a columnist with The Federalist. Appreciate all your time today, Ben. My pleasure, Ezra. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. On my monologue yesterday about Justin Trudeau breaking social distancing rules, Jake writes, My widowed father spent Easter by himself because we chose to do the right thing. This is absolute tyrannical hypocrisy from Trudeau. Yeah, and he just sort of said it and did it, and the media were fine with it because they're all on his payroll. Laura writes, I've seen so many sheep defend the PM's hypocrisy, saying that he deserves it because of his hard work. How can you not think this is insulting to all healthcare workers working nonstop and leaving their children behind? Shame on him and his supporters. Well, listen, I think we left the shame part a long time ago. I mean, they voted for a guy who was in blackface so many times he couldn't even list a number of how many times. On my interview with Jim Carahelios, Ron writes, I received my tax receipt today for a donation I made to Carahelios' campaign. I told them that I want my money back if they stick with kicking Jim out. Yeah, look, I mean, I like Jim. Um, 
as if I don't remember my first interview with him, I asked him some critical questions. Does he really have the team? Does he have the horsepower? He's a good guy. He's a gadfly. Frankly, I, I like the cut of his jib. He's a good rebel, isn't he? I don't know if he's a prime minister in the making, but I like what he has to say. But let's say I'm dead wrong on that. Let's say he's the worst thing that could happen in the Conservative Party. He's totally wrong. Let's say his email about Waleed Solomon and Aaron O'Toole, which is sort of an obscure inside baseball thing. Let's say he was so wrong on that. All right. So what? Why not let Conservative Party members make that decision? In fact, wouldn't that be a vindication of the official people being right? Look, we knew he was wrong and the party voted him out. If, if you have to kick a guy out through trickery, that sort of says you're worried that maybe the party would vote for him. I don't know. I think for them to choose to fight him in court, it sounds like they have too much money if they're choosing to do that. Oh, well, I'm glad I'm not a party member. All right, that's our show for today. Uh, let me invite you to watch Sheila Gunn-Reed's show, which is always great. That's coming up right now on our Rebel News Plus, which you're a subscriber to. And hey, if you haven't already done so, go to whowantsout.com and sign our petition to get out of the World Health Organization. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.